chapter 13. John chapter 13. Our theme this year is anchored in Christ and looking forward to the the things that we can learn uh, through this uh, next year uh, with the promise of being anchored in Christ. But more specifically, um, recently we've been speaking about the provisions that God has given us in our lives and the fact that is that his provisions are really innumerable. Uh, we could spend a lifetime talking about the provisions of God. Uh, and as <clears throat> I, I am not even going to be able to pre, even pretend to be able to get close to uh, all of them. Uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, but there are some provisions that God has given us uh, that are probably a little bit more obvious than others. And those are the ones that we're going to be concentrating on. Um, <clears throat> we are so used to having what we need <clears throat> that we often lose sight of what is needed, what the difference between a need, a right, and a want. Okay, think about that. Uh, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> I, I, I read an article, and I had to, I, I saw the headline uh, on, on the internet, and I had to go back and read the article. And you can, you can Google it, and it, I, I just, I was stunned <clears throat> by, the, by the headline. I, I forget what the headline was, but it was something to the effect of, uh, mother almost goes to jail for taking away daughter's phone. And I went back and read the article. You can, I, I anyway, uh, Hudsonville, Michigan. This really happened. A mother almost went to jail because she took away her daughter's cell phone uh, as as punishment. Now, those of you the, those those of you that are parents that have uh, uh, teenagers, uh, I, I'm sure. See, that was never an option in our house because our kids didn't have phones. Just saying. Um, but I know that many of you uh, use uh, cell phone um, removal as punishment for your young people. Well, this young lady was so irate that she claimed that her mother stole her phone. And anyway, uh, the, the stepdad got involved and all this stuff. Anyway, she ended up having to go to 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 a judge into a court and <clears throat> long story short um it, it was thrown out but uh, the ridiculous accusation that a parent could steal somebody's cell phone uh, a teenager's cell phone see and that to me what that does is that blurs the line between a want and a need and a necessity see we we have uh, our country we have so much we we don't we don't realize what we need. I love to laugh at commercials when they tell me I deserve something. You deserve a brand new car. Really? I do. Oh, oh no, no no no. You deserve payments on a brand new car. See, <clears throat> we we get this we get this whole 
concept of need, want, uh, expectation, and, and, and privilege, and all of these things, and, and they're so blurred in our world today. I want to take a little bit of time and talk about the importance of trust. A missionary state, uh, statesman, uh, Hudson Taylor, was, uh, <coughs> excuse me, had completely uh, trusted in God and God's faithfulness. This is what he wrote in his journal. Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. <coughs> excuse me. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect uh, he will send three million missionaries to China, but if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. Depend on it, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. The college college that I went to, the president of the college that I went to, used to say often, God does not order something that he does not pay for. And when I I first was at the college, I, okay, whatever. I I didn't quite understand what he was trying to communicate. But the longer I was there and the the, the more time that I spent growing, the more I started realizing what he's talking about. The same thing Hudson Taylor's talking about. God does not order something or put a burden in our heart, in our life, or a a goal for us to accomplish without the ability and the the means to accomplish it. Uh, I I read in my my quiet time this morning in the book of 1 Peter, uh, be holy for I am holy. And I've had people tell me, well, that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. It may be difficult, but it's not impossible because God would never tell us to do something that we cannot accomplish. I have learned, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my own, my own statement here because it, could, it can get kind of confusing, but... This is, I wrote this. I have learned that trusting God has little to do with money, circumstances, or people. But it has everything to do with money, circumstances, and people. (laughs) Okay, that's why I wanted to read what I wrote. Okay, what do I mean by that? Okay, number one, money, circumstances, and people can distract us uh, can be distractions that cause us not to trust God. Is that is that a correct statement? Okay. But on the flip side of that, when we do trust God, money, circumstances, and people fall into their proper place. So does it make sense now? Okay. <clears throat> I actually came up with that. I was pretty impressed. <clears throat> So how do we, how do we learn to trust in God's provisions? Well, that is true, but the fact is many of us struggle in the area of trust, do we not? 
<clears throat> many of us struggle in the area of not only trust, but trusting God to provide our needs. And one of the things that we need to do as individuals is really define what a need and a want and a privilege and all of these other things, what they really are. When it boils right down to it, what do you need? You don't need a whole lot, do you? The title of my message is His Example of Happiness. Jesus' example. We're going to look at the provision of his example this morning. And, and I could have picked hundreds of examples in Scripture, but I've, I picked one that I feel like is probably the most um, well-known, if you would, or, or the most prominent example that Christ gave us. But before we go there, I, I did not know uh, until... John uh, announced the song that we were going to sing, the very last song that we sang, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. I didn't know we were going to sing that until John announced it just a few moments ago. We sing that song and we think, wow, what an incredible song. It is well with my soul. And it talks about the struggle of life and, and so on and so forth. And, and some of our people know this because we've talked about it in the past, but some of you may not know this. But the man who wrote that song, the context in which that song was written, he had just lost his three daughters. And his wife almost died in a, in a, ship, in a ship accident. Two ships in the middle of the ocean collide. Now, how in the world two ships in the middle of the ocean collide? I have no... Yeah, it was, it was foggy that, yeah, that night. But, but still, you know, I mean, we have radar and all now. But anyway, he lost his three daughters... And his wife almost died. And then he was able, as he was going to England to meet his wife, the, the captain of the ship that he was on came to him and said, we are about at the exact place where your, your three daughters died. And he penned the song, It Is Well With My Soul. See, that is an indication of an inward peace and an inward happiness that man cannot explain. And we have available to us that exact same inward peace and happiness. And Jesus gives us an incredible example of happiness. In John chapter 15, John chapter 16, Acts chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, and 2 John chapter 1, we are told that God's desire is that our joy would be full. God's desire is that your happiness and your joy, not that you just live a, a, a relatively happy life, God's desire for your life is that your joy be full. Let me give you an example. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Now Bonnie, and I've used this example many, many times, but this morning Bonnie fills my cup with water, and I appreciate that. Now is this a full cup of water? For most, for most people it is, because she 
fills it at the water cooler in the in the foyer, and she has to walk all the way up here, and she never spills a drop. Must be holy water. I don't know. <clears throat> no. <laughs> but this, for us, is a full glass of water. The word full there does not mean this. It means literally completely full. That is the joy that God has designed for your life. He has thoughts of you, and they're good thoughts. Thank you, Bonnie. David wrote in Psalm chapter 51, verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, and upon me, uh, excuse me, and uphold me with uh, uh, thy free spirit. As we look at John chapter 13, again, this the example that Jesus sets forth here is, is just an incredible picture of what real happiness is. John chapter 13, let's start reading in verse 1. <coughs> Excuse me. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And <coughs> supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the the heart of uh, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things un, un, into his hand and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth up from supper and laid aside his garments and uh, <clears throat> took a towel and girded himself after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he had was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, I, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, uh, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said unto him, He that was washed needeth uh, not save to wash, <clears throat> excuse me, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean ever wit. And, and ye are clean, but not all. <clears throat> For he knoweth who shall betray him. Therefore he said, uh, he say, uh, said to him, said him, <clears throat> uh, ye are not all clean. So after he made, uh, he had washed their feet and had taken his garment and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done uh, to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, 
ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than the Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that, that sent him. And here it is, verse 17. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so very much for this day. Thank you for your love, for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, I ask very specifically that you would speak to our hearts and help us to understand what true happiness really is. Help us, dear God, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning I want to look at three very incredible truths that we, that we just read in this passage in, in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. And, and you, you need to bear with me a little bit this morning. I, I, I don't, my, those of you who are, are, are regular attenders understand that I, I periodically get migraines. And uh, I, if you haven't noticed, I'm having a struggle reading uh, this morning. So uh, that is usually an indicator that I, I either have a headache or one's coming. And uh, with the weather change and everything that's been going on, so just just bear with me this morning, if you would. I I appreciate your patience with me. <clears throat> Number one, I want to look at his humility. I want to look at his humility. Let's let's <clears throat> see. His his humility started in knowing who he was. Let me ask you this: Who are you? See, often, well, let, let me, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let, let, let's go back to verse 3, chapter 13, verse 3. And it says, And Jesus, knowing <clears throat> that the Father had given him, uh, given all things unto his hand, and that he was come from God and went to God. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, uh, we, see, uh, we see this. And Jesus said, un, said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man had, had, hath nowhere to lay his head. Here we see in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, the fact that he's homeless. Okay? He has nothing. But we just read in John chapter 13, verse 3, that he is God. So here we see a contrast, if you would, of, of a person uh, or, or, or Jesus claiming and and rightly so that he is god and he is he he is the owner of a of the cattle on a thousand hills is he not yes, sir. but then he has nowhere to lay his head see the, the 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 reality of humility starts when we understand who we are jesus understood who he was he was god but at the same time he was a servant. He had nothing and wanted nothing that this world has to offer. We spend a, a, a lifetime accumulating stuff only to let our children fight over it after we're gone. Am I wrong? And here Jesus understood who he was. <clears throat> The other day, 
I, <laughs> how many of y'all have cell phones? Okay. How, how many of you have wanted to throw it against the wall the last couple weeks? Okay. The other day I was somewhere, and <laughs> this shows how warped we are. Or, or excuse me, I, I can't, how warped I am. I, I, I needed to Google something. And the stupid phone, you know, I was in a grocery store, or yeah, I think it was in a grocery store in the back of the grocery store. You know what it's like. You don't get any cell. I had to walk all the way to the front of the store. Had I was. And I actually had to go out into the parking lot. You know, I mean, we get torqued over the stupidest things. Do we, do, and be honest, do we need cell phones? No. No. But we all have one. And when they don't work, what happens? Yeah. And heaven forbid if you go out to go to work and your car doesn't start. The world just came to a screeching halt. John chapter 10, verses 27 to 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which giveth uh, uh, them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are, uh, are one. The reality is humility starts when we realize who we are. Jesus knew who he was. And the problem is, for most of us, we don't realize who we are. We're nothing. We we are nothing in ourselves. Look at verses 4 and 5 of our passage here. And he, and he raised uh, uh, from supper and laid aside his garment and, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Now here is the, the Jesus is God in the flesh. Not only taking on the role of a servant, but he is taking on the role of the lowest servant. If if there was a if and I'm, I would imagine there was a pecking order in servants, the lowest of the lowest servant was the one who did the washing of feet. And here Jesus did not serve the food. He did not clean the table. He did not cook the meal. What did he do? He chose to wash the feet of his disciples. The lowest of low. The God of heaven humbling himself to do the very task that most of us wouldn't even consider doing. Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples in, early in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 to be specific, broaches several subjects. We call this the Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. And 
And Jesus talks about, <coughs> excuse me, something called what we call the Beatitudes. Uh, and it is several um, uh, rules, guidelines, characteristics, if you would, uh, of, of, of things that we should, should, that things that should be a part of our lives. And the very first one that Jesus addresses, we see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, the, and, and it's really important we get a hold of this because the, the poor in spirit means to be humble and to be, and not, not only to be humble, but it encompasses more than that. It encompasses the fact that we, we need to get a handle or we need to have the ability to understand who we are in our humility. The reality is, I deserve nothing save hell. That's what I deserve. Because I don't know about you, but I am a sinner saved by grace. Amen. And I deserve nothing. And when Jesus on the, on, in, in the Sermon on the Mount makes this statement, he, he, is, he is making a statement to, to his followers trying to get them to understand who they are. That they, that, that they, they in themselves are nothing. It is Jesus Christ in my life that, that, that gives me substance. It is Jesus Christ in my life that gives me purpose. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For I say, <clears throat> though the, uh, 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 the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt <clears throat> with every man, <clears throat> the measure of faith. See, the, the phrase in, in Matthew chapter 5 uh, 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 doesn't mean poor-spirited. Okay, let me, let me read chapter 5 again. Uh, uh, Matthew 5, 3. It says, Blessed is the poor in spirit. <clears throat> it doesn't mean poor-spirited. It's important we get a hold of that because... <clears throat> Poor spirited is the is is what the what the see we live in a world today that teaches us that everything that happens should be that everything should happen to make us happy. Am I right? But what is Jesus talking about in Matthew chapter three? He's talking about just the opposite. <clears throat> We're not supposed to be poor-spirited in the context that we're just to be little wimpy things that just kind of let things happen. And, and that's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about in humility, having an inner strength to take on the role of a servant to wash the feet of those around us. Andrew Murray wrote this, the lack of humility is the sufficient explanation of every defeat and failure. One of the biggest problems 
that the disciples faced. And, and, and just prior to this encounter, <clears throat> the few of the disciples were arguing, who, I want to sit on the right hand of Jesus when we get to heaven. And I, well, if you get the right hand, I get the left hand and blah, 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 blah. Who's going to be the greatest? And all of this, all of this, this struggle. So Jesus understood within the hearts of the disciples, there was a humility issue or a problem, if you would. Well, the problem, the, the, the fact is we have the same problem that they did. Humility is the first step to true happiness. The second step we see in verses 8 to 10. And Peter said unto him, Thou shalt uh, never wash my feet. Uh, Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And <clears throat> excuse me. And Simon Peter said unto, uh, and, uh, unto him, Lord, uh, do not wash my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said unto him, He uh, that is washed uh, needed not save to wash his feet, but is clean ever wet. And ye are clean, but not all. And, and <clears throat> well, that point number two is holiness. Step number one is humility. Step number two is holiness. And, and you say, wait a second, what, what has this got to do with holiness? Well, I'm glad you asked, uh, because we have an incredible word picture here for us that if you don't understand this, uh, you can read it, and it almost sounds like double talk, does it not? <clears throat> but in verses 5, 6, 8, 12, and 14, the word wash is used. Do we have a, a slide for this, Chris? Thank you. I appreciate your hard work. Chris is such a good guy. Um, the word wash here, the Greek word for it is nipto, and it means to wash a part of the body, i.e. your head, your hands, your feet, you know, your torso. But it, 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 is, it is to wash a part of your body. So that, that, that word wash is used in verses 5, 6, 8, 12, and 14. In verse 10, when Jesus is addressing Peter, he used the word washed. <clears throat> it is the word luo, and it means to bathe all over. And you say, okay, what's the point in that? Well, it is a picture of salvation. See, when a person gets saved, they are washed their sins are washed away. Their sins are, are luo. Let me give you an example of that. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And from uh, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him <clears throat> that loved us, and luo, washed us, completely from head to toe washed us from our sins in his own blood that's an incredible picture in John chapter 13 so what what was Jesus Jesus starts off by saying in verse 7 you know Peter what I'm what I'm doing what you guys aren't totally going to get this but you will one day and then he goes on to explain, a person who is washed, luo, 
does not never need to be washed luo again, but they do need to be washed with the with the uh, the other word. I just I lost it. Nipto. There you go. Okay. There. <clears throat> so Hebrews chapter 10 verses 16 and 17. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law. Uh, uh, into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Praise God for that. See, God does not forget your sins. If if God had the ability to forget your sins, like, like I have the incredible ability to forget just about everything my wife tells me. It's just awesome, and and she and she loves that of me. <laughs> Not. <laughs> but see, if God had the ability to forget our sins, that would be that would nullify Him from being God, would it not? But God can choose not to remember. What an incredible promise. In other words, let me let me put it to you this way: How many times uh, those of us that are parents uh, <clears throat> in the in the raising of children, your children keep doing something over and over and over, and you want to wring their necks? <clears throat> Why? Because we remember the iniquities. But the truth is this: If you go to God and say, "God, forgive me of this." And then 10 minutes later, you come back and say, I did it again. And he says, did what again? That's, that is an incredible God we serve. And when we are luo, we are washed from head to toe in the blood of Christ. We need not be washed again. That's what he's telling Peter here in John chapter 13, verse 10. But he goes on to say, and ye are clean, luo. But not all. Okay, again, it, it, where's the double? Okay, what is he trying to say here? First John chapter one verse nine says, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." In other words, what happens? <coughs> excuse me. What happened with the with the disciples in route? from wherever they were to the upper room, what happened? Their feet got dirty. Okay? Yeah. What are, what are they, you know, the standard, the standard footwear then was sandals, and the standard street conditions were dirt. So transitioning from point A to point B, their feet got dirty. And in most wealthy homes, Whenever somebody would come to the door, a servant would almost always meet them with a basin of water to wash their feet. Why? Because they were clean when they left, but by the time they got there, their feet were dirty. You see the picture. What happens with a believer who walks through the world? We get dirty. And we need to get our feet clean. What an incredible picture God gives us here of holiness. An incredible picture that oftentimes we could read over 
and totally not get. But why is it so important our feet stay clean? Well, look at verse 8. Peter said unto, unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. The word part here literally means to have participation with, or in the context here, fellowship. So what happens to a believer who has been luo, washed in the blood of Christ? But as we walk through the world, we pick up the the dirt of the world, if you would, or we sin along the way. And and the reality is each of us is going to sin. We do what it says in 1 John 1.9. We confess our sins. He is then faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And in Hebrews, he says he chooses not to remember them ever again. He washes away the sin. And then we can have fellowship. But what would happen if a wealthy homeowner at that time had a, I don't know, a friend come over, a guest or whatever, and they come walking in and the servant knelt down to wash his feet and he says, oh no, I'm good, don't worry about it. And he started walking through his very clean home. Okay, what would what do you think the master of the home would do? He would say, get out. See, he doesn't want the dirty footprints trampled around his home. See, and it's about fellowship. And the holiness here, the second step in Jesus' example here of happiness is holiness. We need to be humble. In our, in our thinking of ourselves. We need to be holy in our actions. And then number three, we finally get to the, to the, to the whole point here in verse 17. And the people, therefore... Oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Help, I got to change the page. Here we go. <clears throat> I, I knew there's something wrong with that. I was like, man, why didn't you help me, Ronnie? <clears throat> If you if you know these things, what things? If you know these things, if you know that humility is an important part of our lives, and the way that holiness is an important part of our lives, if we know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Okay, having the knowledge of them will not bring you happiness. It is in the action of being humble. It is in the action of being holy that we can find true happiness. And the sequence of the events is absolutely critical. You cannot be happy unless you are first humble, then you are holy, then happiness comes. Aristotle defined happiness this way. Good fortune joined with virtue, a life that is both agreeable and secure. Well, that's okay for a philosopher, but for a Christian it doesn't work. Because happiness comes when we follow the example set by our Savior. 
when we walk in the will of our Savior. See, happiness is a byproduct of the will of God for our lives. How could that man... Oh, what was his name? I just had it. No, 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 no. The guy who wrote, It Is Well With My Soul. Spafford. Uh, What was his first name? Huh? Horatio Spafford is the one who wrote, It Is Well With My Soul. How could that inner peace, that happiness, that could come out in such heartache and sorrow? Because he was a man that knew how to walk with God. Horatio Spafford, what, again, I did not know this until, this, until we sang the song, so I, it's, this is not in my notes. So if I make a misstep here on some of the story, please forgive me. But Horatio Spafford was an incredibly wealthy man. Incredibly wealthy. Probably would be, if he was alive today, would be in the billionaire status. But the fire in Chicago, what was it, 18... Or, 1812? Chicago fire in the 1870s. Yeah, 1870s. Okay, the Chicago fire in the 1870s. He was a, the majority of his wealth was in property. Well, back then, there was no such thing as nationwide or State Farm. And what do you think happened to his wealth in the Chicago fire? Gone. He lost, he went from being a billionaire to being basically homeless. But he rebuilt, he, as, as Chicago started rebuilding, he, he started rebuilding his wealth. And, and the, the stress of all of that had been so burdensome on his family. He, he sent his wife and daughters to Europe to kind of, vacation and and he was planning on going but at the last minute some business came up and he had to stay behind and he sent his family ahead and then he got a wire from his wife basically telling him that his daughters had died so here was a man who who for all intents and purposes was a very wealthy man but at the same time a very humble man he understood that his wealth, and, and, and if you want to do the research on the man, he was an incredible man of God. He, he walked with God. He, yeah, he was worth a lot of money, but it didn't change him like it does most of us. Humility. And then holiness. Only a man who understood holiness could pen the words of that song, knowing that he was in the very place where his three daughters slipped into eternity. Only a man who walks with God could pen those words. See, he understood where happiness comes from. Happiness doesn't come from the things of this world. Happiness doesn't come from from anything but the will of God. I have a picture here for you. I I decided to find a picture of this guy because I have no idea how to say that, especially with a headache. 
anyway, this guy, uh, he, <clears throat> he, he ruled Spain from 1912 to 1961. Or excuse me. No, 912 to 961. Okay. <clears throat> and I, I, read this, I read this about him recently. It was like, wow, I had never even heard of this guy. Uh, this is this is the article that I read. It says, when all was said and done, he <clears throat> reflected on his life like other rulers before him. Remarkably, he came to the same basic philo- philosophical conclusion as other mighty men of history. This is a, this is a quote from this man. He says, I have now reigned above fifty years in victory or peace. Beloved by my subjects, dreaded by my enemies, and respected by my allies, rich and honor—excuse me, riches and honor, power and pleasure—have waited on my call. Nor does any earthly blessing appear to have been uh, wanting uh, to my facility. In other words, <clears throat> he did everything he wanted to do. In this situation, I have diligently numbered the days of pleasure and genuine happiness which have fallen to my lot, and they amount to 14. 14 days of genuine happiness. And he goes on to say, O man, Place not thy confidence in this present world. What an incredible, incredible statement. Solomon basically came up with the same conclusion. He spent a lifetime pursuing happiness, spending billions and billions of dollars on everything. He says that nothing that my eye wanted was withheld from me. Nothing. Anything he wanted, he got. And this is what Solomon wrote at the end of his life. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We live in a world that tells us that we need to get, 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 get in order to be happy. And Jesus tells us that's not the answer. The answer starts with humility. Understanding that each and every one of us, really, we're just sinners saved by grace. If we know Jesus Christ. Humility. Not not thinking too much of ourselves. Holiness. Being willing to say, God, I have sinned. Forgive me. And God putting our sin away and never never bringing it back to our attention again. That is the pathway to happiness. Let's close by reading verse 17 of chapter 13 once more. 
If you know these things, happy are ye if you what? Do them. Now, I don't, I don't say this often, but if you underline or mark your Bible at all, <clears throat> underline, circle, but do something to draw attention to the word do. Because we can have all the head knowledge we want. But if we don't do these things, we'll never experience true happiness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,